Welcome to the No More Late Fees podcast. I'm Danielle. And I'm Jackie. And we're just two best friends and ex-Blockbuster employees rewatching some of the best and worst movies from the late 90s and early 2000s. It's a heist. It's been 20 years since the remake of Ocean's Eleven was released onto our screens. That's so old. I know. (laughs) (laughs) To help us pull off this job, we've invited our TikTok mutual, Kelly Kurowski, to join us. Welcome, Kelly. Hi. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I love Ocean's Eleven, so I'm really excited to talk about this film. (laughs) Yay. I just remember when this movie came out Jackie I feel like you and I were very excited because we used to play the movie game a lot Mm -hmm. and when we would get a movie that just had so many people in it it just we knew okay the movie game is going to be a lot easier because now we have all these people to draw from yep that's that's how nerdy we were (laughs) and this movie had such a diverse cast yeah that I was like ooh, we can be We can be picking and choosing all over the place and it's going to (laughs) be wonderful. We had movie stars. We had old movie stars. We had TV stars. We had um, up and coming young actors. Indeed. It was a great mix. Well, if you don't know, then let me tell you about Ocean's Eleven. It's a 2001 remake of the 1960 movie that featured the Rat Pack, had the same name. Ocean's Eleven features an A-list ensemble cast that follows friends Danny Ocean, which is George Clooney, and Rusty Ryan, which is Brad Pitt, as they plan the heist of a lifetime. With his clan of thieves, Danny attempts to steal $160 million from casino owner Terry Benedict, played by Andy Garcia, as well as a love of his ex-wife Tess, played by Julia Roberts. I said like half the cast already, but I'll say... Who else is in it? Starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Julia Roberts, Bernie Mac, rest in peace, Don Cheadle, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Carl Reiner, Eddie Jemison, Elliot Gould, and okay, I looked this up to figure out how to pronounce this properly and I could not find it online. It looks like Quinn Shabo. Yeah, but I feel like the cute, I, I don't know. But I apologize. Sorry. If you guys know how to say it, tell me. <laughs> the movie was written by Ted Griffin and directed by Steven Soderbergh. And you can watch it on HBO Max. But before we get started, let's get into our ratings rewind. So you know the drill. Before we get into the movie, we'll reveal the rating our Y2K versions of ourselves would give. Then at the end, we'll see if our current selves agree with our initial rating. Our scale consists of would buy it, would buy it again. The best would plan repeat. Five day rental. Would watch again. Two day rental. Yeah, okay, but nothing to write home about. And same day rental. <laughs> What's that smell? <laughs> oh, it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Kelly, what is your Y2K Um, It would be to buy it. Yay! <laughs> Ooh, Kelly came with props. She has yeah. her DVD. Love it. Yep. Love so, to see I it. Her, I can't give her my DVDs yet. No, don't do it. No. How about you, Jackie? Same. Bought it. Would buy it again. Same. 
I finally went to my bookshelf to actually look at the DVDs I had, and that is definitely in the pile. So, oh, that's good. We're all on the same path today. <laughs> the rarity. We're in agreement. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, box office status: this movie had a budget of eighty-five million dollars, which I think is in a lot of damn money. But it, so it made. million domestically, over $183 And worldwide, it made over $450 million. That is a nice chunk of change. I I heard that the cast actually took a pay cut for the production. So I bet you they got like back end. You know what I mean? With all the they better have. <laughs> I hope so. I know, right? Well, I bet you, you know what? I bet you for the sequels, the two sequels, yeah. <laughs> their salary went way up. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Brad Pitt, Clooney, and Julia Roberts that definitely took a cut. Because mm-hmm. remember at the time, Julia Roberts was the highest paid actress and she was making at least $20 million a film. So, which is insane. <laughs> I love it. Love, love me some Julia. Well, and George Clooney hadn't met her before the movie, but he charmed her into starring in the film by sending her the script with a $20 bill attached because she had just been in Aaron Brockovich. And he wrote, I heard you're getting 20 a picture. So that's how she kind of was wooed into taking the role of Tess. Betty. George is such a prankster. Like I, I, I would love one day to work with him because I just think it would be so funny. So fun. You know, like I think he makes the atmosphere fun and, you know, so I'm not sure the Zach pranks, maybe he played on Ocean's Eleven, but he is a fun prankster. <laughs> yeah, I think he really cares about the people on set. And it, it's funny if you look back at his history, the, some of the directors he's actually called out because they have, you know, they weren't great people to work with and they weren't nice to the staff and you know people on the set so I always admire that about him but he was the linchpin in this movie because he got he was the first one to be cast and he was the reason why like you said Jackie Julia signed on but also he reached out to Brad and talked Brad into it to doing it as well so thank you George (laughs) because we know you're listening (laughs) <laughs> oh he totally is <laughs> right he's our number one supporter <laughs> let's work together and then you come on their podcast right yes exactly <laughs> we'll just come on set we'll bring our stuff yeah, we're, we're mobile <laughs> okay so let's go ahead and get into it our first scene opens and danny ocean is kind of sitting in front of the smallest parole board ever <laughs> <laughs> He's like literally in a tiny room at a metal table with two or three people interviewing him and kind of asking him how um, he's going to reacclimate to society. He's been locked up for quite a few years. But he don't um, look it. He looked damn good for being locked uh, up. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just the prettiness in this picture is, <laughs> is really something. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that they say there are implications, but no convictions to over a dozen Ponzi schemes and fraud. <laughs> so why homeboy locked up if he's never been convicted of anything? 
Well, at the end, never mind. I, I don't want to spoil it. Not that everyone hasn't seen this. Day I mean, movie. it's been 20 years. So, but like at the end, he didn't get arrested for the actual heist. He got arrested for his parole violation. So I feel like he's always skating the line. You know, he doesn't get in trouble for the hardcore crimes. And then I'm sure these prosecutors can only get him on some small technicalities because he's too Fair. smart, too smart. They also ask him for the re- the reasoning behind committing these crimes. And he said, my wife left and I was upset and in a self-destructive pattern, <laughs> which fair, but she only left your ass because you were a fucking thief and a liar. <laughs> yeah. I think she wasn't even mad about the thieving. She was mad about him being a liar and he lied yes. to her. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then they asked him, what would you do if you were released? And he kind of just gives that George Clooney smolder. (laughs) And then we hear some 60s groovy music playing, which I'm going to go on record now. Like this movie is just top to bottom perfection. The cinematography, the music, the acting, the casting. Like I just... I watched it and I was just like, smile on my face the whole time. Like there was just (laughs) nothing that I could find wrong with this movie, which there's only ever been one movie we've done so far that has made me feel that way. And that was The Mummy. Oh, I thought, well, you didn't feel that way about Can't Hardly Wait? No, Can't Hardly Wait made me feel happy, but it wasn't like perfect. Perfect. So anyway. Moving on. He gets all his things from the prison, which includes his tuxedo. So he comes out like bow tie undone tux. It's just. It's a a look. It's a look. It is such a look. He has his wedding ring and the next scene I wrote down Las Vegas. And then I was like, wait a minute. Las Vegas isn't near an ocean. And so then the titles come up and it says Atlantic city. And I'm like, Oh, we're not in Vegas yet. Hold on. (laughs) Everyone calm down. And so he goes into a casino and he sits down and this card player starts shuffling up and dealing. And this is the very sad part is before they even introduce this character, I wrote down Frank slash Ramon because I have seen this movie so many times. I know both Bernie Mac's character names. (laughs) I adore him. He's great in this role. Everyone is perfect in their roles. Like there is not a bad performance in this movie. And so that's kind of who the first person that Danny targets is Frank. He's in Atlantic City dealing cars under a False pseudonym. Identity. Correct. Because he has been essentially kicked out of Vegas for his rap sheet, shit. His rap sheet long and he would get in trouble if his real name came up. Exactly. So they're playing cards and, and Frank's like, I don't know, maybe the lounge at Caesars. So they meet at the lounge at Caesars later and essentially Danny's like, I got this job. Are you willing? And Frank's like, yeah, yeah, I'm willing. And I've so been then, to Atlantic City, I would <clears throat> fucking want to get out of there too. <laughs> you, you don't want to stay. Fair. And Frank does kind of call him on it. He's like, You've got a plan already. You just became a citizen again. And Dan is <laughs> like, Don't question me. Like, <laughs> just follow along with me. And then 
The next scene we see is Brad Pitt's character. Rusty is always eating. (laughs) So, I mean, I wrote down every time and what he was eating. So I will bring it up continually. I just just like to believe that maybe Brad Pitt has hyperglycemia or diet. He just has to. He's got to control his sugars. Stash snacks. Yeah. (laughs) So in nearly every scene Rusty is in, he's eating something. And according to Brad Pitt, this is because the whole gang, his character in particular, would be so busy that they'd rarely be able to eat. So it was decided that Rusty would just be eating all the time. He first mentioned this when he was eating after having worked all day without a break for lunch and was hungry because he thought it would be a good character trait for Rusty. And this led to a gag at the end of the film where Rusty gets heartburn and throws the food away. So we see Rusty, he's in LA and he's kind of running a scam where he's hustling child (laughs) actors on TV shows. I love this scene so much. It's it so like, good. Such a surprise. Like I was like, yeah, oh my God, Josh, legit, like they're playing themselves too. You're like, oh my, like it was like one of the coolest things. I love and- it because I always thought Joshua Jackson looked a little bit like George Clooney. Like they could be cousins, maybe brothers in my <laughs> mind. Um, so when I saw him in there, I was just super excited. And plus I was a WB stan and pretty much yeah. everyone in that scene was on a WB show with the exception of Shane West, who was on Once and Again, and Topher Grace, who was on that 70s show, but everybody else was on a WB show, you know, at that time, stoked. So I wrote Poker Circle, Joshua Jackson, Shane West, Holly Marie Combs, brother from Seventh Heaven, and not Toby Maguire. <laughs> my list because I could not remember like I would never have gotten Barry Watson but I could not remember Topher Grace's name and I was Magic. like it's it, it's Venom it's not Toby McGuire he deserves more <laughs> you need to put some respect on that man's name what? I mean later I did write Eric Foreman so <laughs> I got closer <laughs> and Topher who also listens to the podcast obviously yes, I apologize, apologize Topher we apologize I recognize your name. I laugh because when I was looking at the description and they were saying all these people were in it and they were saying that they were teen stars and I had to think about it. And I was like, Holly Marine Holly Marine Combs. It's like, that bitch ain't no teenager. None of them were teenagers. Maybe they were on teen shows. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe. Yeah. At this point, they're all just idiots. They don't know how to play poker. They don't realize Rusty is scamming them. (laughs) And then apparently they're a, in the back room of a titty bar because Rusty is shown watching some girls dance and I literally wrote Rusty wants to die because he is just (laughs) so defeated on his break from hustling the children and he's drinking whiskey straight and just watching some girls shake their boobies. So this club that they shot at didn't have a back room so they had to build a back room on a different set Um, for this scene so rusty comes back from his regrouping his woosaw moment (laughs) and finds danny now sitting at the table playing poker with the children's and so they talk about the the number one rule is to leave emotion at the door and they're all playing poker so it's rusty danny and all of the teen stars And they're kind of talking about the rules of poker and how you play it. And like, they must be bluffing because you wouldn't bet that blah, blah, blah. And so the kids bet all their money 
and they got hustled. And then you come to find out Danny and Rusty were hustling them the whole time. They were a team. They knew without saying. The best part of this like whole interaction is after, you know, the game is over and everyone's leaving, how there's paparazzi outside and they're Mm -hmm. all going for all the teen stars, but you have George Clooney and Brad Pitt walk right out without being stopped. And obviously in our minds, we know that these are the two biggest movie stars in the, in the world. And it just made me laugh. I don't know. Gave me a little giggle just to see that. (laughs) I I love that too. I I made a note of that. Like they should have been the ones being fawned over. Then George Clooney and Brad Pitt are talking as they walk to the car and Danny is like, you look bored. And, and Rusty's like, it's because I am bored. <laughs> and so Danny's, I have an idea. I want to knock over three casinos, the Bellagio, the MGM Grand, and the Mirage. And so they're kind of talking about logistics. They're going to need a dozen guys. They've got schematics. There's lots of schematics in this movie. <laughs> To, to see what the vault looks like, what the casino floors looks like. There's always like architecture plans that are then rendered into like a PowerPoint presentation that is then rendered into a 3D model. Look, there's nothing sexier than men who actually plan shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. It, you you put a plan together. And then on top of that, you made a PowerPoint. And this is not necessarily like for work. Yeah, I'm about it. I dig it. I also wrote at this point, like just the cinematography of this movie (laughs) is fantastic. Like the, the first person point of view, driving cars and things. It's just, it's beautiful. Told you it was going to gush. It won't stop. It's just pretty colors. A lot of oranges, a lot of reds. <laughs> and when they are in LA, there is a filming spot when George and Brad are talking and it's at a restaurant right by the Santa Monica Pier. I feel like I've been inside, but a long time ago, but it was like, it's a very famous because it was the Ocean's Eleven, like where they, Ooh. Where they were. So cool. I gotta put it on the list to go back. I hope we're still in business. Everything's changed. So anyway, that's a cool filming spot. Mm-hmm. Jackie and I just need to take an, a, a trip to LA and just yes, yes. <laughs> do all the things. <laughs> so when they're talking about knocking over three casinos, they're like, those are Terry Benedict's casinos. And they're kind of talking about like, if you screw him over, not only will he deal with you, he'll deal with your entire family. He's not one to mess with if you don't think you can get away with it. And, and he's just like, yeah, I know. Like, I just, what else? I, I didn't, you know, when we didn't know who he was yet, Benedict, I was like, he sounded like a sexy man. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's not one to be messed with. I like Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then Rusty keeps saying, what's the real reason? Like Rusty (laughs) knows Danny so well. He's like, this can't be the only reason you're doing this shit. We need to know the real reason, which we find out later. And so (laughs) Danny gives this grandiose speech about the house always wins unless when the perfect hand comes along, you bet big and you take the house. And even Rusty's like, how long you've been practicing that speech? (laughs) Like 
They are such good friends. Rusty knows his move before he makes it. I think one of the great things about this movie too is, and there's a lot of movies where you try to get a huge ensemble cast and a lot of it just depends on chemistry and Mm -hmm. it's very realistic. It seems like, yes, these people have been friends for a long time, co-workers for a long time. I think that was one of the key points of why this movie works so well. Yeah, and I believe Steven Soderbergh had them hang out just to make sure that the chemistry was there and it felt natural. And during downtime, the cast often crowded around Carl Reiner to listen to his stories. I could only imagine. (laughs) I could only imagine. He just passed away last year. Yeah. So sad. I, I think it's also notable. I think why this movie also works is because the original movie, because it's a remake, was not that impressionable. Besides the fact that it was the Rat Pack, Mm -hmm. that's it. Most people, it's not on their top any list. And even the cast had a hard time watching it. I think Julia Roberts said she tried to watch it like two or three times and she fell asleep every time. I said, same, Julia. I have not seen it. Have you guys? I tried and I was like, this shit boring. So we did not miss out on anything. Well, and even with the exception of the title character, Danny Ocean, none of the principal characters have the same name as their counterparts in the 1960s version. So it's very much a like, they kind of took the bones of the 1960s version, but made it bigger and better and got a better cast for it. Yeah. (laughs) And it it feels like an old Hollywood movie, which we, Mm -hmm. at that point, we hadn't had in a long time, you know, things in the industry had changed so much. So I think people like that as well. Yes. And Vegas Vegas just kind of has that old school feel too, you know, I think it just really fits. And so now we need someone to fund this shit. (laughs) You need a sugar daddy. Yes. And then kind of piggybacking on Rusty's remark of you have to find someone that really hate Terry. They go to Ruben's house. Ruben is played by Elliot Gould. He is, he lives a life of extravaganza. And for those of you who don't, from a name recognition, don't know who this legend is, I'll give you two points. He was Monica and Ross's dad on Friends. Jack Geller. And he also used to be married to Barbara Streisand. Yes. Back in the day. They're literally lunching with him. He's in like a robe, has gold chains around his neck. I love his, his like old. His aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) Like after they talk to him, they're like leaving. He's like, let me know where to send this furniture to. I want to give you something. It's like, (laughs) You send them furniture, they can get a couch now, but whatever. But so they approach Ruben and he's like, y'all are out of your goddamn mind (laughs) is literally what he says to them. And then he goes into kind of a tirade about the three most successful Las Vegas robberies that weren't very successful and pretty much ended up with everyone being incarcerated and sometimes dead. Mm. So essentially driving the point home that no one has ever successfully pulled off a Vegas heist. And Danny's like, it's fine. It's not a problem. Like Danny (laughs) keeps his cool, never is concerned about anything ever. He's just like, I got this. It's fine. 
I've had time to think <laughs> serving my sentence. I'm That's good. what's so crazy. Like, I feel like his character didn't even look at his stint in jail as a punishment, but just like, I'm taking a holiday. I'm planning. I'm thinking. I, I took some reflection time. <laughs> I feel like I need some of that Danny Ocean in me. Right? Yes. Collective, like, I, you know, like everything's going to be okay. He has no yep. <laughs> um and so at first Ruben's like no no way but I do owe you for that thing that time so we'll, we'll circle back later I'll send you some furniture and then at this point he doesn't know what casinos are planning on robbing he just knows that they want to rob three casinos and he's like by the way which casinos and they're like the Mirage the MGM Grand and the Bellagio and he's like terry benedict's casinos like <laughs> you have piqued my interest <laughs> fuck that dude he took my casino he's blowing it up in a couple of days and then ruben's on board <laughs> and the quote he gives is you better know what you're doing because benedict will kill you then he'll go to work on you so like you better not ever fucking get caught, but I'm going to fund this deal because screw him. And so then now that we've got our funding, we got some money. We need a couple of drivers. So we're introduced to the Malloys, the Mormon twins who are played by Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn. They do have first names. I don't know them and I don't care to know them. <laughs> They're just always the brothers. Yeah. Twins? Wow. So I, did, I just learned that. I just thought they were brothers. Wow. I forgot that they were actually twins. So they were supposed to be twins. And originally they were t- in talks with the Wilson brothers, right. Owen and Luke, and they were pretty close to signing on, but then they had to drop out because they went and did the Royal Tenenbaums instead. Uh, Apparently the Royal Tenenbaums took out a, quite a few good players that could have potentially been in this uh, movie. And obviously those two would have looked 10 times better. Yes, um, Danny Glover, he also turned down the role of Frank, which went to Bernie Mac because he went to be in the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, and then wow. Bill Murray was supposed to play a lounge singer, just like a small cameo. But then he was too busy filming the Royal Tenenbaums, so. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then Ethan and Joel Cohen were also considered as replacements. So they were looking at people that were going to look very similar. I don't know what happened after that. I kind of just feel like, why didn't you just get Ben to be in it with Casey? Right? Yeah. You know, because that would have just made sense. But Ben might've been on one of his benders around that time. And I think he's also- uh, a gambler so that probably wouldn't have been a good look so yeah. who knows? I don't know so now we got our drivers and the twins are used for any role that they need to be plugged into they yeah. do some driving but they also show up as bodyguards they show up as delivery people just whatever they need they're supporting cats they're members. there and the interesting thing about this scene is they're so bored and they have so much money Scott Kahn's character is driving a monster truck, like on a racetrack, like on, it looks to be a NASCAR oval and Casey Affleck has a monster truck remote control car and they're racing. And then 
The remote control car is beating Scott Kahn, so he runs it over, because why wouldn't you? So you can kind of see their relationship a little bit and that they're kind of unhinged. Yeah, they definitely, (laughs) they don't look like brothers, but they fight like brothers and Mm -hmm. squabble. And the writer said that a lot of that came from his relationships with his own brother, so... Which I totally appreciated that they acted it very well. Yeah. I totally bought that they were related. They had some good banter. Like, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a good time to mention that you got to be on the set of Ocean's 12. So did you get to see them at all when you were on that movie? Yeah. So real quick. So I was an extra. You can't see me, but I was with George Clooney. And Uh. I just have to say, guys. I've actually met him a couple of times and he is the nicest person ever. <laughs> like he is so nice. And then a couple of days later, I actually met almost everybody. I did meet Casey, you met Brad, Brad, Brad the twin. I met Scott, Casey, Don Cheadle, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon. But what's funny about Matt Damon is people magazine was there and they were taking pictures of us and my picture with my friends ended up in people magazine like little promotion or whatever yeah promotion and so they put us in there which is really cool so yeah everyone was really nice I feel like the only person that maybe I didn't get a picture with was Andy Garcia I feel like he kind of was like his character a little bit like maybe I don't know he, he wasn't he might have been method. Maybe he was just like, yeah, he might have been method. Yeah, yeah, I don't take any offense to it. But everyone was really cool. And again, George, I mean, my goodness, I hope everyone gets a chance. So. Did you did you meet Julia? That's all I really Julia, wanted. Julia, huh? no, I didn't get to meet her. She was no. pregnant during that movie, though, wasn't she? Oh, for sure. In she real life. in 12 a lot. Like, yeah. she, we filmed a little bit in Chicago. So I'm from Chicago. And that's where they filmed, is like the beginning, the beginning scenes in Chicago. But it was really cool. It was, it was, uh, it was so fun, lucky. A fun, crazy month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous. So Brad, jealous. Brad is also really nice too. So real, last thing, I my picture came out so bad, guys. This is me. My mouth. <laughs> and I was like, and this is when it was one, this is, you guys, this was literally one hour photo. We had to go get it. We, there was no digital. So I didn't know how it came out. Right. I was so upset. And I was like, oh my God. This is so embarrassing. I can never show anybody. And then fast forward, I was in LA. My friend goes, you want to go to the Benjamin Buttons premiere? And I said, yes. And we ended up going to the after party and I got my redo picture with Brad. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Second chances, third chances, you guys. <laughs> so he was that's very awesome. gracious and very nice. For being such big stars to, you know, like they seem very genuine. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool experience. The next person we meet is Livingston. He does all the electronic stuff. And Rusty is like, how are your nerves? And he's like, okay. So, you know, he's just like a sweaty, nervous mess a hundred percent of the time, which comes into play later. I love that actor because, well, I always remember, think of him from the movie Waitress. So that makes me have an affinity for him every time I see him. And then we quickly meet our munitions expert basher played by Don Cheadle with the worst Cockney accent ever, but I still love him so much. He did not like his accent. He's very ashamed of it. And he was even trying to figure out like in the other movies not to happen. And so there was drama. 
with him in this movie. Yeah. So if you have the DVD, you'll see his name is nowhere to be found in the credits or on the movie, the DVD. Yeah, it's not on the DVD, you're right. So he was having a problem with negotiations. He believed that he should be top tier with Brad and George and Julia, and they didn't. So he said, well, then don't put my name on any of it. So... They were able to work things out, though. I love a man who fights because, come on, at that point, I think he was Oscar nominated. Like, he's a pretty big star at that point. So he did get top billing for Ocean's 12 and 13. So they were able to work it out. I am going to reveal when I saw this movie, it was the first experience I had with Don Cheadle. thought it was British. I (laughs) had no recognition that accent was fake. So he convinced one uh, a party of one and <laughs> my friend Nick from the Monsters Inc. episode had to tell me he was not in fact British <laughs> and that was a horrible accent. So thanks, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Always coming in with the knowledge, Nick. Right. He's just here to help. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. We appreciate a helpful <clears throat> king. So how we're introduced to Basher is he's literally pulling off another job. He's breaking into a vault at a bank, it seems. So he does all the things, blows up the the vault, walks inside, and someone forgot to disarm the alarm inside the, the vault. So he's being arrested. And Brad Pitt just walks into the scene as like, hey, I'm from the ADP, flashes some random badge. <laughs> Like I got this and then gives Basher some sort of smoke bomb that he detonates. And as like, it's all smoky and flashbangy, they just run away. And so Basher is essentially a fugitive this entire movie, still doing all the things. And then he also notes that it'll be nice to work with proper villains again. One of the bank robbers is actually Steven Soderbergh in this scene with him. So I thought that was funny. I I didn't notice when I rewatched. So now I have to go back and go look. Did you notice Kelly? I didn't. No, I I need to go rewatch that scene too. Yeah. Next is they're at a Cirque du Soleil performance and the amazing Yen is doing flippies and and they're like, that's our grease man. (laughs) And so it didn't take much to convince him to join. And this was the actor's motion picture debut it's his first film and I think they discovered him while he was rehearsing with a group he was a part of a group called the Peking Peking Acrobats yeah Um, and then they reached out to him and he didn't speak any English so he had a translator on set I also think it's funny that they did not have any closed captions whenever he was speaking Mm -hmm. so we have no idea what he's saying but apparently his character understood what they were saying in English, but yeah. Brad Pitt's character could understand him because he would respond. So I'm guessing he, he's a multilingual hottie who eats a lot. <laughs> and and this is the second thing we see Rusty eating slash drinking. So we saw the whiskey at the titty bar. Now he's <laughs> drinking a soda. It's, it's going to go more in depth because I wrote down every time he was consuming something. And now we're at Saul. Poor sweet Saul. Just <laughs> betting on the, the the doggies. Like he's just in Sarasota. Well, somewhere in Florida. 
might be Sarasota, betting on the dogs and Rusty and Danny are like, well, we need a person to kind of portray the high rolling gentleman who's going to get some stuff into the vault for us. So Sauls, I came down here, I'm retired, but then they kind of hey, but you can make this much. And he's like, okay, I'll think about it. Rusty, hand him a ticket and sells on the first flight out. (laughs) Money talks a hundred (laughs) percent. And then one of the last members of the team is Linus. Linus is played by Matt Damon and he is a pickpocket by trade seems. So we see him on a subway. He steals someone's wallet, but Danny Ocean is just that much better than him. So Danny then steals the wallet from Linus and leaves him his business card with a note, like meet me at this pub or whatever. And so they're like, we got your name from your dad. (laughs) Well, he doesn't say dad. I think he says the guy's name and then it, Matt Damon, Linus says, oh, that's my dad. He didn't tell you. So, yeah. And so they're kind of sitting there. Danny has an airplane ticket and his hands are on it. And Linus is all of a sudden looking at the plane ticket and Danny looks down and he's like, Linus has sleight of handed the plane ticket out from underneath him. And Danny's like, this is our guy. (laughs) So now the gang's all here. Rusty, I believe is eating again in the scene, but I couldn't figure out what he was eating but he was eating. And so they've kind of like catered meals. We're at Ruben's house, gangs all together. They're outside talking. And essentially Rusty's like, if anyone wants out, this is your time. No harm, no foul. We go our separate ways. We're good. If you want to stay and, and hear the shit, then you're in it and follow me this way. I have a PowerPoint presentation. I have a question. At any point during this movie, did you ever, did any of you feel like it was weird that really there were no women in the movie? Like, or was it just felt normal? Because I just rewatched the movie, The Women the other day. And of quite a few times, it was just because it does not happen. All movies have a lot of men in it. So it just, I kept on saying, oh, there's, there, there's no men in here. And while I was watching this movie, after watching The Woman, I was just like, this is crazy. Like, there's no Bechter test passing here because Julia Roberts Mm -hmm. literally has no one to talk to. Nope. No, I definitely, that's so funny. I literally talked to my mom about that today. I was like, even in other small roles, like the security officers or just anybody, there was just, there was no other women, just even in like little roles. I I really noticed it watching at this time. I think the only other notable person was Angie Dickinson and she had like a just a slight cameo and she was in the original Ocean's Eleven but she wasn't talking to anybody so yeah I don't think I ever noticed when I watched the first time I definitely did not notice the lack of female representation the only other female character I can think of is the stripper that they pay off to steal the badge yeah I think that's you're right that's the only one and she had a speaking role at least. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, no dig or anything like that. But no. it just because I had just watched the woman, it just, it clicked in my head. I'm like, oh, wow. Look how desensitized we are that we don't yep. think this is abnormal at all. This is weird. So when Rusty is like, 
everyone come inside. Linus is the only one that's hesitant. And Ruben's kind of still standing outside. And he's like, you're Bobby Caldwell's kid. And then he just looks at him and goes, get in the goddamn house. And Linus (laughs) is like, okay, yes, sir. So then we see our PowerPoint presentation. They're the three most profitable casinos. And the vault's located 200 feet under solid earth. And it safeguards all of the money for the three casinos. And I guess the law is... You have to have enough cash on hand in the vault to cover all of the chips that are being played on the casino floor. So they have to get within the casino cages, through the doors, each of which has a different six-digit code changed every 12 hours, through the elevator that won't move without fingerprint confirmation, which you can't fake, and vocal confirmation, which you won't get, and you can't override the system. Then when you get down, there are two guards and the most elaborate vault known to mankind. This shit is hard to get into. Exactly. And there's no tunneling because they have sensors all around the vault. But they said it's 150 to 160 million because it's a fight night. So they'll have even more cash in the vault. And it's split equally 11 ways. And then they forgot to mention the cameras. (laughs) (laughs) So Saul asks, so we're just supposed to walk out with 150 million. No one's going to say anything. And Rusty and and Danny are, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the plan. And, and, And Saul just goes, oh, okay. Like we're all just, we're we're all on board. But I think it speaks to, you know, and you find out later as you're watching the movie, But the reason they know this is because of Benedict's hubris, his Mm -hmm. ego, him being robbed. He's not going to want people to know. So he's going to swallow that loss and not say anything. Yep. And we see Saul is continually consuming Tums. Like he's (laughs) not comfortable at any point during this situation. He's just faking it till he makes it. So the first step was to recon the dealers and the cash cards, kind of everyone take really good notes about everything that's going on the floor of the casino. So Frank is shown in a break room as he's listening to one of the security guards that has access to the cash cages. Talk about how when he gets off of work, he goes to the crazy horse for lap dances in the evening. So Frank's kind of taking notes and they also need to memorize the casinos layout, like where all the doors are, where all the exits are, where all the employees stand, all of that type of stuff. Or a case in the joint. I love this part because this is where I feel like my real skill would have been able to shine, which is pure stalking. Um, (laughs) Fair. (laughs) You'd be the Linus in this situation. God, I don't want to be associated (laughs) with that Damon, but yeah, I suppose I'd be watching. So Basher is also working on a way of taking down the power for 30 seconds to a minute during fight night. So he's like, oh, I got a plan for that. Pretty much I noticed this glitch in their system that I can exploit for that. So like, that's easy. No worries. So Basher's set on his shit. (laughs) Um, They go to the strip club. Like I said earlier, they kind of pay off a stripper to take the security man's badge. And then as she's giving it to Rusty, Rusty says, say hi to your mom for me. And she's like, oh, you can say hi to her yourself. She's on the stage in five minutes. And you're like, oh, 
Well, that was a turn of events. Did you notice this too, Kelly? Like in this scene, I feel like he almost took a second to pause. Like, do I have enough time (laughs) to go back in? It's five minutes, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like he really pondered if he had enough time to go back in to watch her. And so that made me super curious about this woman and who she was and what skills (laughs) she had on the stage Mm -hmm. because he was willing to risk it all. For a second. <laughs> and also in the scene rusty is eating a lollipop <laughs> Love it. i'm never gonna uh, watch this movie the same now because i like noticed he was eating but not as much so like next time i watch this film i'm gonna really notice this <laughs> oh i paused i rewound like there's a scene coming up where he's eating something i couldn't identify it at first and so i was like stopping and rewinding and he's just like yeah. what are you doing I'm like i gotta figure out what he's eating i gotta take good notes <laughs> i mean honestly jackie we weren't gonna quiz you about how I, he was eating i think it's important to note <laughs> All the things he ate. He's like the very hungry caterpillar in that way. Yes. <laughs> it was more a challenge for me. And so the brothers come in to the casino and they have a bunch of balloons. <laughs> they, they have a scheme. So pretty much yeah. they go in and they start, they purposely start a fight. And then while they're fighting, Casey Affleck's character lets this gaggle of balloons he has loose in it goes all the way up to the ceiling and it's now blocking the camera so now everyone's focused on these two idiots fighting Mm -hmm. and it's really weird that the guard doesn't just pull the balloons down yeah like he's so busy trying to get them to stop fighting when really it's the balloons that's a huge issue i would have just called security got those two guys out and just but it's a movie, so. Yeah. And so the reasoning for blocking the security camera is so Livingston can use the stolen badge and get into where the servers are and the cameras are for the casino. So Livingston is able to patch into their system and kind of hijack it at will and also patch in different video feeds so not only are they able to see all the camera surveillance in the casino they can also override it if they need to and Livingston is very sweaty because this is very (laughs) stressful and so he's like wiping the sweat from his brow and as he goes to leave he had a map drawn on his hand and he no longer has a map because he has wiped it off on his forehead and the sweat has rinsed it away And so he's very confused. Then another security guard comes out and he's like, hey, sir, hey. So Livingston is like now power walking, trying to get the fuck out and not knowing where he's going. And finally, the security guard catches up with him and he's like, you forgot this. And it's his little video feed monitor so that he can see what the cameras see. So he's just like, oh, thank you. He doesn't know how to play cool for sure. No, not at all. The perfect fit to just be the IT guy and not have to interact with people. If he's flight or fight, he is (laughs) definitely a flight. (laughs) He's a runner. He's a track star. For sure. So it like Casey Affleck and Scott Connor are still arguing over the balloons. And one of my favorite quotes, because it's just so fucking random, is when 
the charade, they don't have to keep it up anymore. So they're ready to move on with their lives. And Casey Affleck grabs his balloon and he's like, you circus animals and like storms off with his (laughs) balloons. And I'm like, who calls someone a circus animal? But I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And he also says he has a very important client. He has to deliver the balloons. (laughs) I was just like, that whole thing, they're hot mess, those two. And then we see kind of the rest of the team, they are constructing an exact working replica of the vault. And so they're kind of bringing in materials, constructing the vault. And then Linus is trailing Benedict to memorize his daily schedule, what he does and everything. And to their benefit, he's a creature of habit and he is very punctual in everything he does. So they're like... At 7.05, he stops on the floor, says hi to the high rollers. By 7.10, he's eaten with this girl, blah, blah, blah. So he's monk, essentially. Correct. OCD for sure, sure. Yeah. And this is so that they, number one, know where Benedict is at all times within the casino. But number two, they have to get the codes from him. So they have to position themselves where when he opens his portfolio that he's handed with the codes, they can see the codes from their vantage point. And while Linus is doing this recon, the brothers are not helping, but they're at the car lot with Bernie Mac, who plays Frank. And Frank is haggling to purchase some vans. The brothers are literally just like standing on the back of a van, bouncing it like two fucking idiots. Just checking to see if the wheels are Two idiots on a van. But I love the scene with Bernie Mac because he, what he does in this scene, he makes the car salesman so uncomfortable that he's literally willing to almost give this damn car away for free at this point, just so Bernie Mac's character can leave. Yeah, he's like talking about moisturizer for his hands, but then it interferes with his nighttime activities. And if like, you know what I mean? Wink, and, wink. But- all the while still like really like squeezing his hand in a handshake and the guy's just like like you can see it on his face he just wants to be left alone but he does he's not even it's not even that he's like he's got his hand but it's almost like he's leaned in and he's pulled the man in closer Mm -hmm. and he's talking about something not completely sexually but adjacent enough that makes this man very uncomfortable my only issue with that is like when he was he said oh you're supposed to wear the gloves with the lotion at night Mm -hmm. so that you can moisturize it but I don't do it because it gets into my nighttime activities but I'm just okay so why don't you do your nighttime activities and then put the gloves on with (laughs) that was what my brain was thinking logistics (laughs) (laughs) I just felt like that's not really a good reason not to wear the gloves if you want to wear the gloves just saying (laughs) 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 and now we see Saul he's getting a new suit made out of imported silk it's very high-end and luxurious because he's a Russian rich man apparently yeah he's pretending to be Lyman Zerga who is like essentially an arms dealer and no one knows who he is because he's so 
powerful <laughs> in the arms trade. Linus debriefs Rusty and Danny on Benedict's routine. So he gets a black portfolio with the codes. Then he heads to the restaurant. At this point, Rusty's eating shrimp cocktail. And then Linus says, now comes the girl. And Rusty's like, what girl? And Linus is like, it's my favorite part of every day. <laughs> like, how long have you been watching him? Like two days. And so it's Rusty- the best two days of my damn life. <laughs> Julia Roberts every day. Hell yeah. So Linus and Rusty turn around to the, uh, and face the staircase to see Tess come down the stairs. And as soon as Rusty sees her, he's like, oh, fuck. Fuck, man. <laughs> I knew like, there was another reason. And I love just how he walked like, in. He turns like he doesn't make it known mm-hmm. to Linus that this is a problem. Like he as, as soon as he sees her, he turns and, it, and Linus has no idea that this is a problem, but this yep. is a problem. And Linus is like, oh, she's the curator for, I guess there's a little gallery in the hotel. I just and... want one of these rich women jobs in these damn movies. Right. Like, so okay. what you're telling me is I can work hours when I want, dress real nice. And then sleep with my boss and get even more money and jewelry and things for this. And buy art with other people's money. Yeah. That was like a Picasso they were looking at in one scene. Yeah. How do we we find this job? Right. Right. (laughs) I want to live this way, please. Well, I mean, it tells me I can manifest it. So I'm going to manifest it. So like you said, Rusty turns around back to his shrimp cocktail and Linus is like, I haven't caught her name yet. And Rusty's like, her name is Tess. And Linus is like, how do you know? And it's like, that's Danny's ex-wife. Her <laughs> name is Tess. I feel like I saw a trivia thing of like how many pieces of shrimp he ended up having to eat for this scene. It was quite a bit. I think it was like almost 44 pieces of shrimp or something. Yeah. yeah. I would definitely be throwing up. Yeah. No, thank you. I love when Julia Roberts comes on screen. She's so like, commit, pre- you know what I mean? She, her her presence. presence is like, just, it still is, you know? She really, she's still that movie star, you know? Yeah. That, I, I love her. She wasn't wearing shoes when she did that staircase scene. Oh, no way. They were hurting her feet. <laughs> and that <laughs> makes me love her even more. And um, you don't argue with Julia Roberts if she right. says she's not wearing the shoes, she's not wearing the shoes. I know she did that a few times. So I'm not sure if that particular scene, that's why she didn't wear the shoes. But I know in other scenes, she just wasn't wearing shoes because she like didn't feel like it and they were hurting her feet. And I love that about her. I love that for us, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> Our feet hurt too when we have to wear shitty high heel shoes so now we're back to kind of whatever warehouse they've rented to work on the fake vault and rusty's like danny we need to talk we need to talk danny what's going on and and he's like tell me it's not about her man tell me it's not about her and danny's like well it's not entirely about her rusty's like fuck man like when it comes down to it 
and you have to choose between us and her. I hope you choose the right thing because Tess does not split 11 ways. <laughs> and Danny's like, well, when it comes down to it, I don't think I'm going to have to be the one that makes that decision. And Rusty's like, you, you better know what you're fucking doing, man. You better know. After that, I can't remember exactly when this comes up, but essentially Terry says, in my hotels, there's someone always watching, meaning like there's surveillance cameras everywhere. We can see everything. Yeah, we he is in the little museum with Julia Roberts. That's character, right. And he's saying like, see her for dinner and whatever. And she leans in to kiss him and he pulls back and he's, you know, he points at the camera. So apparently he doesn't want everyone to know that they're dating. But I mean... He's eating at his hotels with her. She goes to his hotel room like, what's really, what is this? What are like two people going to see it on the camera? Right. Like, like so <laughs> you think I'm in the room watching the cameras like, oh, they fucking and I'm upset. Like, I don't care. Right. They're calling their uncles, cousins. Right. Like, guys. <laughs> Guess who Terry Benedict is banging right now? <laughs> Danny Ocean's ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> super weird i feel like that's a character to do yes. that mean so i feel like it fits that even though it's not normal so yeah. <laughs> he's got issues now we see sal requesting to speak to terry privately and this is kind of a ruse in of itself because while sal is taking up terry benedict's time danny swings by the restaurant and sits down and is like hey tess what's up I'm out. <laughs> and so she's pissed. And this scene is really incredible. The banter between the two of them. She asks him, didn't you get the papers? He said, my last day inside. She says, I told you I'd write. It's like, God damn, that's good, Tess. Good job. And then he said, I came here for you. And then this is where they kind of go into that diatribe about like, you're a thief and a liar. And he goes, I only lied about being a thief and I don't do that anymore. And she says, steal. And he goes, no, lie. And so there's this really witty banter between them. That's really fantastic. And then a, the conversation is wrapping up and he asks her, does he make you laugh? And she says, he doesn't make me cry. So good. Ah, so good. The writing on this, like everything. I'd be really interested to know what part is improv and then what part is actually scripted and how much of that was the actor's freedom to kind of go with the flow and the dialogue and stuff like that. And so Zerga is still with Benedict. He essentially explains he has a really important package coming in tomorrow and he needs it kept very secure. And so at first Benedict's like, well, we have the house safe. And he's like, no, that's not good enough. Like this is really valuable stuff. What else can you do for me? So essentially it's agreed upon under the duress of Benedict. He doesn't want to do it, but it's a high roller. So he's like, we'll store it in the vault for 24 hours. That's it. So Zerga's like, okay, cool. And then he goes to dinner because now he's done with Zerga. And so Danny and, and Benedict have this really quick exchange. And Danny is standing up at the table while 
Benedict and Tess are sitting down and Danny's playing with his wedding ring the whole time. So Tess is kind of noticing that he still has his wedding ring. And at one point during their conversation, he's like, where's your wedding ring? And she said, I, I pawned it. Like I'm no longer married. I don't have a husband. So he's like, oh, interesting. So this this whole dynamic pretty much is just, it's a a game of chicken and tango mm -hmm. between these three people. You know, you see that she's just really angry. You see he's still in love and he wants to fix things. And you see the passion between the two. So you know that she probably has some affinity. Mm -hmm. And you can also tell the very contrast differences between how she engages with Danny versus how she engages with Benedict. And Benedict is always in control. And so mm-hmm. even in this scene, you see him stroking her hand. You see him completely unbothered by Danny. Yep. And so it's all very much a game happening between the three of them. And at this point, it's insanity. But Danny finally leaves to go about his business. But it's a very interesting dynamic to see. Yeah, and, and you can see how passive... Tess is with Benedict versus she's willing to argue with Danny. She's willing to put him in his place. But anytime Benedict's around, she's just kind of very quiet, very demure. So yeah, there's a very different dichotomy between the two relationships. Now we see Basher working on carving the explosives that they need for the vault. It's kind of like a deep green color. It seems like he's carving them into like emerald type shapes or something. And I really... This scene is kind of pinpoints why Ruben is willing to fund the entire thing because Benedict has bought Ruben's former hotel and is demolishing it to put a new hotel up in its place. And so you see the actual demolition. They're outside. Everyone in the crowd is watching. And after Benedict speaks, they all turn around, like do a 180 so that they can watch the building be demolished, except for Danny continues to look at Tess while the building is demolished behind him. But also in the scene, they cut to Basher working on the explosives. He's watching a TV while literally you can see behind him out the window, the building being demolished, but he's watching it on TV instead of turning around and watching the thing happen in person. It's just a really great scene. And I love the cinematography aspect of it. It's really cool. Plus it's partnered with very mod music to lead the scene along. And so now they're kind of pre-planning and practicing the actual day of the heist. They are kind of talking about like, okay, these are the steps that need to happen. And all of a sudden Basher shows up and he's completely covered in sewage. And he's like, when they demolished that hotel, they realized what I was planning on exploiting was it took out the power in the hotels that kind of shockwaves did. And so he's like, they're working on fixing that now. So I need a new way of taking up the power for at least 30 seconds. We can do it with a pinch. The only pinch I know big enough is in some institute in California. So now they have to drive to California and steal some shit. Like a giant fits in the back of a commercial van. It looks like the machine that they had in Endgame that took the quantum realm thing to time travel. That's what it reminded me 
of when yes. I was watching it. You see, I when I watched this about the whole when the power go out, do you think that could actually really happen? Because I felt like I wonder if after this movie they were like, oh, we got to make sure no one actually tries to do that. That's what, <laughs> that's what went through my head. I was like, oh my god, like could that really happen? You know, I'm sure it could. I mean, I'm sure the resources to be able to do those kind of things, there are these high alert lists if they see people trying to get it. Yeah, and uh, it is noted that the pinch used in the film to black out power in Vegas was based on the real life Sandia Z pinch. However, the effect shown is unrealistic as no device of the size shown could achieve that effect. Okay. So I guess whatever device is in existence, it can take down power, but I guess not an entire giant city. And so they go to the California Institute of Advanced Science to seal this mythical pinch. And Linus is told by Danny to stay in the van with the brothers the brothers are literally like teenagers yes mentally and they're playing 20 questions or not touching can't get mad not touching (laughs) mad and finally Lannis has had it he goes inside to help question mark oh why like I would have understood if he like got out of the van and was just walking around like why yes. the fuck would you go in there it's not like they're going to costco you want to go get a hot dog yeah <laughs> they're they're robbing the place what are you I was exactly i was yelling i was like why why <laughs> and so of course as he's walking into the building they're coming out with the pinch and now they have to wait for linus who's been got by the security guards he's having yeah. to evade them has to break a window now jumps out rolls off a roof runs and jumps onto the back of the car they open the back doors for him to get in he rolls down the front to the hood and so they finally get Linus in the car and they're like trying to get away because they're security now I just think this was his born identity audition or something this just makes no sense yes he came out of that window yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then yen's trying to close the back doors and one of the doors slams his hand and injures his hand and so now yen has to be all bandaged up on one of his hands i know this scene was fake but i was mad at matt damon why you hurt that man's hands yep yeah, you Man. need obstacles in movies though because then it's like oh now he's got his hand how is he gonna do you know so. i get it but <laughs> i i hate matt david <laughs> you hate him for hurting his hand too so. <laughs> you just add there's layers of hate he just has layers yeah and one of the layers is yen's hand <laughs> so now they get back by dawn because it's like the sun seems to be rising as they get back with the pinch and rusty is eating ice cream and danny is informed that he's been red flagged and can't go into the casino and so that kind of throws a wrench into things so many wrenches so many wrenches and they're all just kind of sitting in their suite and they ask saul to do something and he's in character and he's like I don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Saul. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Not they. <laughs> Freaking rusty. Yeah. Like he gets real mad. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> show that fire. 
And so now they're like, we need someone to do what Danny was going to do. Linus, you're up. Can you do it? And he's taken off guard, but he's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And then, yeah. And then Saul kind of comes out of nowhere and he's like, I don't get why she's with Benedict. She's too tall for him. (laughs) It's true. I feel like she is taller than Andy Garcia. He he might, he could have been wearing lifts. A lot of actors wear lifts in their shoes. Like Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise does. Yeah. Because I've noticed that where I'm like, why do they look taller today? And then I was like, you know, (laughs) it just makes me feel like everything's a lie. Everything. It is. Because it is. Now Rusty's eating some candy. And he's trying to teach Linus the tips and tricks, like don't stand with your arms crossed, blah, blah, blah. Don't be aloof, but be coy and all of these like conflicting ideologies. (laughs) And then he goes, and whatever you don't under any circumstances. And then he's interrupted and (laughs) walks away. And Linus is like, don't do what? I didn't get my full training. Right. Uh, <laughs> that very much felt like a real job to me. Yep. A hundred percent. Like uh so I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna pretend like I know what I'm doing, but right. I really don't. Make it till you make it, baby. <laughs> so now we're at fight night at the MGM Grand. I think so the briefcase arrives with Saul or what is his name? Oh wow. Whatever. Saul's Saul's persona's very important briefcase that he needs to be stored in the vault. But Danny's in the casino. I'm like, Danny, didn't they say keep your ass out of the casino? Didn't they say? He doesn't listen, remember? He's got he don't care. He wants by his own rules. That's what I that's what I think we love about him. Because like, <laughs> he doesn't take no. This is true. He is also a white man in America. He does not feel he like anything is off limits. <laughs> he does what he wants. Saul has like the briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. And he's very important walking through the casino along with <laughs> Terry Benedict. And, and two knuckleheads as his fake security. Oh gosh, yeah. Yes. Yes. And Bucky Buchanan comes out of nowhere. He's very tan. And <laughs> oh he's like, God. Saul, remember me from Sarasota? <laughs> and Saul's just like. Bitch, I don't know you. I don't know you. And makes Terry Terry pause for a second because he's already wary of Saul's character. And he's just like, sus. And But they continue on. And there are definitely people keeping eyes on Ocean. And then we see a quick cut scene to the warehouse where they built the fake vault. And we see a point of view from we're in some sort of vehicle and it's kind of zooming in on everyone else getting ready to play their part. But we see like one of the pine tree air fresheners, the pine fresh, which kind of comes back into play and wraps everything up in a neat little bow later. So that's our clue for later on. Now Basher is getting ready to set up the pinch to take down, um, the power the brothers bring in the cart disguised as room service linus has an earpiece so livingston is kind of walking him through things 
and he peps him like pumps him up by saying you're a natural don't screw it up <laughs> he said you, he's like you, you got this no worries but if you fuck up you're dead yes exactly <laughs> and yen only has 30 minutes of oxygen once he's sealed in the cart so everything has to go like according to plan in a timely fashion but Yen is having to wrap up his hand. He's ready to get inside. Rusty's eating pasta. And Linus shows up as the Nevada Gaming Commission to because there is a dealer on the floor that has been banned from dealing, is dealing under a pseudonym. And also at this time, Danny is escorted by two plainclothes security officers into a back room. Don't they look like twins? They yeah, do. I think they were twins. They had to be twins. I mean, they look like. Him. I was surprised. I'm like, why did they get another guy to beat up Danny? Those two look like they could have handled it themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Super weird, right? And so now Yen is in the cart and he's kind of having to fold himself in half. I mean, he's a tiny guy, but he's like literally knees in his face, folded yeah. in half in the car with his little oxygen tank to be pushed down to the vault. So they find Frank, they escort him out under the guise of like this Linus is from the Nevada gaming commission. And Ben Benedict starts kind of quizzing Linus, but Linus kind of, I think nails it. I never get clarification, but I feel like Benedict would have kind of, 180 on a lot of stuff if Linus hadn't answered the questions correctly. He wouldn't have let him go and said, oh, yes. Yeah, that was exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And now Tess is at the restaurant and Benedict's now tied up with the Texas or Texas. I'm in Texas, the Nevada gaming commissioner. And so Danny is able to go and talk to Tess again. And she's like, you're pulling a job, aren't you? You're not going to win me back. And he's like, no, I just came to say goodbye. He kisses her on the cheek and walks away. And then <laughs> I wrote, goddamn cracker. Cause that's what <laughs> Bernie Mac Linus. <laughs> so funny. I love he, Bernie Mac definitely was, he, some of those lines were his own. Like he yeah. just- Yep. And for me in this scene, I felt like colored came out real smooth. Matt Damon, why you said that so so clean? <laughs> why that sound like regular schmegular to you? Hmm? Just wondering. Asking for a friend. Yeah. Questionable behavior. Yeah. So while this is all going on, while Frank's being interrogated, the brothers are wheeling the cart to the security doors. They start arguing because the one lost the cart and they're yelling at each other. And so then another security man comes out and is like, just stop arguing in the, on the floor. I'll take the cart. So Yen is in, headed to the vault and Frank is escorted out. And Linus is walking out with Terry and is like, oh, I left my pager. And Terry's trying to handle other shit that's going on. So he's like, oh, do you know your way out? And, and Linus is like, yeah, 
go on without me, which was exactly the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it? That's what like they banked on that. Yes. He would have had to finagle his another way. If not (laughs) like, which way is the restroom? I'm about to pee on myself. No, it might be a while. Yeah. (laughs) And now Dan, we see Danny in a room he's been escorted into. There's no cameras with the two burly security guards. And you think they're the ones that are like intimidating. And then in walks a very tall, menacing man called Bruiser. And so they're smirking at each other and close the door with Bruiser and Danny inside. And Bruiser punches Danny and Danny's like, damn it, Bruiser, not yet. And Bruiser's <laughs> like this puppy dog of a giant man. And he's like, I'm so sorry, Danny. So Danny's like asking about the wife and the kids. Danny knows everyone and is friends with everyone. <laughs> And so I like the twist. Like I didn't see that coming when he walked in. Like I thought that's what I love about this movie. All those little things that you're like, totally didn't see it coming. (laughs) I totally agree. Yeah. Like the, that was when I first saw like, oh man, even the like big burly guys in on it. I love that. So Bruiser's kind of pretending to beat Danny up, like hitting furniture and stuff. He has boosted Danny into the ceiling so that Danny can go help with the rest of the heist. And now the cart is delivered to the vault, but they put the briefcase on top of the cart. And so they're all kind of nervous because I guess it's only like the floor of the vault that has lasers. And so nothing can hit the floor, which was also... A conversation they had earlier where Yen had to practice jumping from the cart to one of the shelves so that, because the floor is lava, essentially. (laughs) I love that game. The fight is now starting and Saul collapses because Saul, they told Saul that they, he could watch the security feeds of the briefcase being delivered to the vault. And so Saul collapses And so everyone turns their attention to him. And then at that moment, Livingston switches the feed to a fake camera feed so that they can't see what's going on in the vault. Linus is now in the elevator. He's getting on top of the elevator and Danny's already there, like ready to go. (laughs) And oh my gosh, at this point, they're, they like call a doctor in the security room and Rusty arrives in the worst wig I have ever seen and we've seen some pretty terrible wigs in the movies we've reviewed but I think this is like terrible on purpose (laughs) I was dying when I saw this wig because you know I don't recall it like it didn't stick out to me from when we when I watched it previously but I I laughed out loud when I saw this wig it was Mike Myers rehearsal wig for Austin Powers (laughs) now that makes sense because same thing I I didn't notice it as much until this this viewing recently where I was like that's horrible but it's like horrible on purpose you know but (laughs) I say I think but it made it more comical that whole scene yes there's a blooper somewhere out there with Brad Pitt just saying yeah baby yeah Just, I just, I just hope. (laughs) Now there's a conversation between Linus and and Danny and Linus kind of starts putting, connecting the dots that that argument 
between Rusty and, and Danny was fake. And it was to convince Linus that he needed to do this extra role in the heist. I just love the sneakiness. Yes. <laughs> Even between their own people. That's what's so funny. <laughs> It's just so clever. Every turn of this movie is just so clever and you never see it coming. You're just like, oh, and that makes a hundred percent sense why they would do it that way. Like, it's just so good. Now we've lost Saul. Rusty as Dr. Rusty (laughs) is like, we've lost him. (laughs) Bruiser's continuing to beat up Danny. And now we see that there's lasers all the way down the elevator shaft. So Linus and, and Danny have like hooked themselves up with like, I don't know, like, I, I don't even know what to call them. Like Batman apparatus where they can like zip to the bottom really quick. Cause they're like strapped to the top. So Basher now needs to deploy the pinch and he like covers his junk with his hand like that's gonna help some but the pinch works the lights go out they zip to the bottom of the elevator shaft the lines are a little too short so they have to cut them question this is the only fault I can find in the entire movie like logistic wise is if they cut the lines wouldn't they be dangling when the lasers like went back up and set the lasers off just a question I'll take I wasn't paying that much attention for 200 Alex (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm not sure and so now the lights are back on and it's pandemonium people are stealing chips on the floor people are getting into fights at the at at the fight did you see how they bodied that waitress she wasn't doing nothing to nobody she just had a tray of drinks and like they nfl arm out no it was more like a wrestling situation oh i felt for that lady it's like that's horrible. It was crazy. It was crazy. I would have been stealing too. <laughs> I would have been looting, <laughs> taking that money. Wow. That's really scary. I I wouldn't I've been I've never been in a blackout. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like casinos because like they purposely don't have a lot of windows and right. things like oh, that. They right. don't have clocks. Yeah. Like they make it very cave like to begin with. Be very so that you kind of lose sense of time. What'd you say, Kelly? Crazy. Very claustrophobic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not that windows and when it's dark, you, you there's no way to be like, where do I go? I mean, your eyes would finally get accustomed to it, but yeah, hopefully none of us have to be in a casino during the Knock on wood. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah. and I mean, I, I think even now it's a little bit better because you could pull out your phone and turn on your flashlight yeah, on your phone, phone. but like- Back then, you wouldn't even be able to do that. No. Like, it, you're just in the dark. 100%. They, I think I saw one of them had the flip. I think it was Rusty, right? Had the flip phone. Yep. Yes. <laughs> that, oh, I was like, Good oh. all 90, yeah, 90 or like 2000s. I'm like, we, I had that. <laughs> we had no idea what was coming. Nothing. Yep. <laughs> no idea. But that's what I love is a movie like this taking place then. Because if it took place now with the technology that's what i love about these older movies it, it everything is you know with our, our phone and technology it takes away a little bit of the funness of this decade of when this was made you know yeah it makes it simpler and now you have to have the technology to back it up and it just gets so convoluted and complicated mm-hmm. and everything's so easy right like if you have 
computer skills, if you have all this tech, you don't have to do all the like maneuvering and stuff, which yep. makes it fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see Yen getting out of the the cart and he realizes he can kind of see the handcuff dangling down. And so the briefcase starts to fall, but he catches it and is able to reel it in. He takes the jewels out, stuffs them in his pockets because now he has to do a flippy onto the shelf and kind of climb over to where he needs to set the explosives. He almost overshoots the shelf and tumbles backwards almost off the other, the backside, but he catches himself. Very stressful. Danny and Linus kind of throw in a smoke bomb because there are two guards at the bottom of the elevator. And so they take out the guards. What are they wearing in this scene, by the way? The picture behind you. This one? Like, yeah, I thought they were in a boy band, 100%. I have the exact same thought. I'm like, it's like back just- streets back. It, it is a black shirt, but then has like a circle of pleather sewn. <laughs> it was onto so the top 2001, of it. Yeah, I'm like, does this make us look like we're-, we're in the middle of a heist is that <laughs> is it high chic is that what we're going for with this look her name is called the ocean boy <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious and so now linus and and danny are pounding on the vault door checking on yen yen's still setting up the incendiary Whatever, the explosive devices. Are you trying to impress with the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. I failed. But he almost, he finally knocks back like, yeah, everything's in place. Danny pulls out the detonator and is about to like hit the button and Yen's hand is stuck. Like his bandage is stuck. I don't know how it got stuck. And he's having a difficult time unsticking it. And so he's kind of like yanking, yanking, yanking. At the same time, Danny's on the other side of the door, hits the detonator and nothing happens. And he's like, click and nothing's happening. And Linus looks at him and is like, did you check the batteries? And Linus just happens to have a couple of double A's on him to solve <laughs> yeah, the situation. That was a, that was a too convenient moment. <laughs> like, no, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, okay. I don't, I, this is Linus, not Matt Damon, but to his defense, Linus, not Matt Damon, he did not want to screw up this job at all. I think he very True. much was like meticulous and planned for anything that could go wrong. Cause I know me when I have my anxiety, I have to plan as much as possible that anything goes wrong that so that I feel better about the situation. So I could imagine Linus probably did that. This is true. That's true. So like they put the batteries in and Yen has just gotten his hand out and is able to like get away from the door and Danny blows the door and like they walk in and they're looking for Yen and he's nowhere to be found. Plus what happened to the lasers on the floor? Like wouldn't that have been tripped? Was that something else that like Livingston turned off. I don't understand. He probably but turned it off. I would. I hope so. It wasn't clear of that. No, because yeah. I feel like that would have been a scene you would have saw them preparing for, right? Mm-hmm. If they knew they had to deal with the lasers. So yep. I just feel like he turned it off. Yeah. So they walk in and they're like, "Yen, 
where are you again? And he's like under like a piece <laughs> of metal. And he says, where the fuck you been? <laughs> English real clear English now. Real. So now we see them packing up cash. Uh, anyone that hadn't been in the vault has made their way back up to the hotel room and they're all just sitting around watching what's going on in the vault. And now Rusty calls a phone and Tess and Benedict are kind of walking out of the chaos, which was the fight arena. And, and Benedict's like, you're ringing, like what's ringing. And Tess is like, I don't have a phone. (laughs) And he's like, well, there's one in your fucking pocket, answer it. And so Tess answers it and she's like, it's for you. And I almost rewound the movie because I'm like, did I, did I temporarily nap when Danny put it in her pocket? Like I did not see that scene. I was very confused, but shortly thereafter, you see the flashback of when Danny goes to kiss her goodbye, he puts it in her pocket. And I was like, oh, I did not miss it. Okay. (laughs) Carry on. And so Benedict gets on the phone. And he's like, who's this? And Rusty's like, the man that's robbing you. And I'm like, it's true. So sexy. And he says, are you watching the monitors? Keep watching the monitors. And Livingston uh, switches them back to like the real camera feed. And it's all the people in the vault packing up the money. And Benedict like turns to Tess and he's like, you like, you should leave. But he kind of dismisses her. So dismissive of her. (sighs) This must've been a hard role for Julia Roberts to play because she was being treated like shit. Yeah. But in a passive aggressive way, like not outright, you know, but just a man who just thinks women are accessories kind of thing, you know? Exactly. So she kind of gives him a bro look and excuses herself, but she's not happy. It was a very, the fuck you say, (laughs) and then leaves. And so Rusty goes on to say, you're going to carry the money out for us. We're taking half and leaving the rest, but both are booby traps. So if you try and involve the police, at all will blow up all the money and it's at this point where Tess comes up behind Rusty and listens to the rest of this conversation and so Rusty turns around like gives her the head nod and continues with his speech (laughs) (laughs) and so he finishes threatening Benedict hangs up and he's like hey how's it going Tess and so she knows right I I don't even think he hangs up with her him yet he puts like Benedict is doing stuff and he's on hold so he's just he still has his hand on the phone and they're having a conversation which I think is kind of insane to think that no when you cover the phone it's very rare that you don't hear what's happening still so I thought that was funny but I think, I think it was like Benedict was arranging for some of his personnel to go to the elevator and get the bags and then carry them out. Yeah. And he called the SWAT team as well to yes. come. And at some point, Rusty doesn't hang up. He just leaves the phone and he dips. And, and prior to this, Rusty, while Benedict is working on getting the 
his team together to carry out the money. Rusty's like, hey, oh, Tess goes, where's Danny? And so then Rusty goes, he's in good form. He suggests you you go up to your room and watch some TV. And she's like, these bitches better stop telling me what to do. (laughs) She does do it, but you know what Mm -hmm. makes I am happy because have you ever seen some of those movies where they make a woman who doesn't know what's going on, doesn't listen to anything and just will like put herself in harm's way and make a situation get out of control. And then you're like annoyed with the woman. I hate that trope, by the way, because most women with sense would never do any of those things. But I love that she kind of just says, okay, fine, fuck it. I'm just gonna be over here. And yep. that she in any is never used as some sort of pawn physically to yeah. be in danger as like, give me your money or she's dead kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't do that because that would have been really annoying. They didn't make her the victim. I, don't I agree. Danny, Danny's character wouldn't have wanted any of that to right. her. You know, I think he's still protecting her, you know, mm-hmm. obviously with this next scene coming up and And that's probably why he told Rusty to like tell Tess to go upstairs. He just wanted her out of any sort of harm's way. And so there is a white unmarked van outside. Benedict gets a bunch of his guys to take the duffel bags with the money and put it in the van. And then he kind of is like, okay, I've done everything you've asked, but he quote, says run and hide asshole run and hide i think they he says something about like i better not find you somewhere in california with buying some sort of car and i think that's Mm -hmm. a reference to some famous kidnapping situation that happened years before but it's like they know benedict so well they know every move that he's gonna make he is a predictable character because even though they tell him to do all these things They know on the back end, he's still calling the cops. They know on the back end, he's still having his security follow the van to wherever it is. Like they are 10 steps ahead of him every turn that this whole scenario takes, which is enjoyable. Yeah. Because he's so predictable. And him thinking he's got the upper hand, he's always going to be the one that finds you and you're never going to pull a fast one on me type thing. He's the one that kind of falls for every single trope very predictably. Yeah, probably because he's been at the top for so long. Yeah. Because no one has, he has been pulling off all sorts of stuff. So he's getting his comeuppance. Yeah, no one's told him no. Yeah. And so now we see the hotel room where everyone had been watching the the surveillance footage. Now everyone's gone. So we're going into phase two, apparently. The police are following the van to McCarran Airport. SWAT is heading down to the vault. SWAT is in communications with Benedict. He can hear what they're saying and they ask for him to cut the power. So Benedict tells them to cut the power. There's some yelling. There's some shooting all in the dark. The lights come back on. The vault has been blown. Benedict is now heading down to the vault. And then we get another scene at the airport with the white van. We see that it's actually being remote control driven with a camera in it. And it, of course, it's Casey Affleck. And like the police are going to open up the driver's door and he's like making the van go like, forward a little bit at each like a little bit at a time and like just fucking with them yeah 
and then they blow up the van and the police report back to Benedict. There's nothing in the, the bags in the van. It was all nudie flyers. And so then he puts it together to Mm -hmm. really look at what the scene is like in the vault and realizes that, okay, wait, what the hell? There's, there is no real money there. And he calls his guy back in the control room and says, Hey, to look back at the film and tell me if you see the Bellagio logo on the bottom of the vault floor. And he does look back and he's like, no. So now he's put everything two and two together. And at this time, at this moment that he's getting clarity, the guys from the SWAT team are walking out and then you realize it's Rusty and the rest of the team. And they have literally carried the, the money right under his nose without realizing they dispatched the phone call that they knew he was going to call the cops straight to their phone and Livingston was playing as if he was the 911 operator Mm -hmm. and so now it's all come together how they were able to kind of pull all this all these shenanigans off and Benedict is pissed and where does he go he goes to go find Danny because he knows somehow, some way, he doesn't know how to be able to like say what it is, but he knows in his gut that he is behind it some somehow. And he goes into the room where he's getting his ass kicked. But Danny looks not a bruise in sight, Mm-mm. no blood. He looks fine. The whole scenario is just like, dude, you're not fooling anybody. Nope. Not at all. And Terry asks him, did you have a hand in this? And Danny's like, did I have a hand in what? (laughs) He just gives attitude. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Terry's like, okay, you're free to go. At this time, someone tells Tess to calls Tess in her room and tells her to turn to channel 88. And it's the footage of the hallway as Terry and Danny are walking out of like the secured area. And Danny turns around and says, what, did you get robbed or something? And so Terry's like, hold on, you fucking know something. Where is my money? And Danny said, would you give up Tess if I could get your money back? And Terry says, I would say yes. And so Tess is immediately pieced out. She does not need that negativity in her life, which I mean, $150 million and probably most of his livelihood. So, I mean, I get her being upset, but really, are you 150 million upset? Julia Roberts, for sure. 100%. (laughs) Um, But I just thought it was weird that they knew to tell her to watch TV or she turned the TV on like at that exact moment. Mm -hmm. as if it was planned it just was very random like it's lucky that this happened at the same I think they're still watching the surveillance somewhere I think he was still watching it to make sure that Terry let Danny out and they were walking out together okay before he called and said watch gotcha and so then Danny's like well I know a guy who can figure it out in 48 (sighs) hours or something like that and and Terry's like what you don't actually know you can't give me my money back and so and terry does say 
well, can someone call the police? Because I'm sure Danny's in violation of his parole at the very minimum. He needs to go back to jail. And, but then he sees Tess and she like blows right by him. At this point I wrote, he fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. And he knows he did. He He does. even ask, like, it's like, he knows. Mm-hmm. I do like this callback that she says, this line that she says to him as she's leaving. Yep. And she kind of turns around and she's like, you of all people should know there's always someone watching. Mm-hmm. And so he knows he's been had all the way around. They got his money. They got his girl. Sorry, not sorry, Terry. And then we see the SWAT van turn away, pull away. And this is where it brings it all back together, where we see the hanging air freshener in the SWAT van. So we know like it was them the whole time. Come walking out of the warehouse. And then we cut to Tess. It seems like she's about to go back up to her room or something, but then she stops And she turns around and starts running out of the casino to find Danny. And as they're loading him into the police car, she's like, stop, that's my husband. That's my husband. And he tells her, I told you, I know what I was doing. And she asks, how long will you be? And he says three to six months, I guess. And then we cut to the Bellagio fountain. And so the rest of the oceans 10 are all just standing there watching the fountain and the director during the scene, he didn't give them a certain order in which to leave. He just kind of said, as it feels natural, turn around and walk away. Well, he he wanted Brad to leave first and he wanted Reiner to leave last. That was the only order that he gave. Yeah. So wasn't this scene shot last? I feel like Matt Damon, I think said it was emotional because it was the last scene of the movie or close to it. You know, it was like kind of goodbye for real. And it's just an emotional scene where nothing really happens. They're just walking away from the fountain and it's this lovely score over it, but it is. Yeah. So Rusty leaves and then Scott Kahn And then Basher, Livingston, and Casey Affleck kind of walk away at the same time. Frank, Yen, Ruben, Linus, and then Saul. And so that's the order that they leave. Then it fades to black and we see title that says three to six months later. And so Rusty is eating a hamburger outside of like the prison. And he actually stops and he like hits his chest like he has heartburn so it's like, oh, Rusty's finally full. So Danny is out. They're walking to the car and Danny's like, where are they? And he's like, they're in a back row in a silver sedan. So obviously Ter- uh, Terry's still tailing them. And Rusty says, I stopped to pick up some of your personal effects. And Danny looks in the car and he goes, I'm not sure if these belong to me. And it's Tess sitting in the back seat. And so he gets in the back with her and she's wearing her wedding wi- ring and he said, I thought you said you sold it, liar. And then she turns around and she's like, thief. And so there's like that witty banter between them again. They're still being followed. And Rusty's car is a Ford Rambler. It's the last note I have. <laughs> uh-huh. 
I was always. And then there's two more sequels. <laughs> yes. And that is Ocean's Eleven. Yay. We did it. Yay. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I, I definitely want to talk really quickly about the casting because mm-hmm. when I saw some of the people that were that could have been in it I'm like oh my god this would have been a totally different movie for example Bruce Willis was originally supposed to play Danny Ocean and had scheduling issues so that's why George Clooney was in it but I don't like I think Um, Bruce Willis has the charisma he has charisma but I just don't he doesn't give me old Hollywood like Mm -hmm. George Clooney does you know like he doesn't give me Frank Sinatra vibes, kind of. There's George Danny Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> George Clooney is just so dapper in whatever he does. He just has that like je ne sais quoi, where <laughs> you just oh, it's he was perfectly cast. Yeah. Now they the other one that stood out to me was Johnny Depp being considered for Linus. Now I I. <laughs> I would have loved it because hate Matt Damon, but I just wonder they would have had to change a character around. I couldn't imagine him being the green one, you know, like the young kid. They would have had to change his character a bit, but I feel like there was already two very strong leads between Brad and George. So I think it would have thrown it off. And Johnny has such different vibes I could see him being like a Livingston kind of thing or Mm -hmm. just or even a bash with the bombs yes kind of a loner I don't don't see Johnny Depp as that nerdy you know what I mean like my kind of had the nerdy like you said loner and I just wouldn't have pictured Johnny Depp in that role right and and he and Matt Damon did pull off that I looked up to these guys. They're a little bit older than me. I'm like the younger brother vibe. And I just want to be cool with them. You know, that (laughs) he gave that Mark. Okay. So here's another interesting thing. Mark Wahlberg was originally cast as Linus and. Oh, I I can't see it, but he decided to go make that trash film Planet of the Apes. Let me not say that. Poor life, poor life choices, Mark Wahlberg. Some people, I think, I don't know if it was that one or there was one that people the, the liked. Last, the last three kind of apps were really good. I don't think he was in that one. The no, last I think this was amazing. like a one-off that didn't mm-hmm. Yeah, the, Yeah, the last three were amazing. So he apparently has talked shit like about the Oceans movie and mm-hmm. was just like, I wouldn't want to be in that. It just He just talked shit. So look it up. Fun, fun little detail of him throwing shade and not someone salty yeah not the (laughs) first time that him that mark Wahlberg has thrown shade and been a little dick i do think it's interesting that they replace one boss one boston guy with another one yeah right so maybe (laughs) he's got beef with matt damon too and then maybe i won't hate him as much yeah yep what else we got jack john favreau was offered to write the screenplay and turned it down i think probably because of swingers is why they offered it to him because 
that movie was definitely vibes, Vegas vibes yeah. all the way through. And I don't think it would have been a bad choice either. I don't think so either. John oh, Favreau, like so good. to to quote John Favreau, <laughs> he's so money in everything he touches. <laughs> it's not a lie. Yeah, there were just so many names associated with this movie. And I think that the Terry Benedict character was so important to cast properly mm-hmm. because you have these very big personalities and he did a really good job of being a very smooth villain but not over the top mm-hmm. and he felt like he could go toe-to-toe with them yep and and I look at some of the other names like Ralph Fiennes I always find Ralph Fiennes to be boring except as Voldemort um, Michael Douglas would have been bad, but well, who would he have played? Benedict, if he was, he would have played oh, Andy Garcia's role. But I wouldn't have liked to see Julia with Not him. Julia. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think like, Andy Garcia was perfectly cast for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Warren Beatty was another choice. Mm. No, so I'm glad that um, they. It's didn't. funny all that scheduling and stuff is everything works out like it's supposed to yeah Mm -hmm. true like I think they did really good with the casting interestingly enough the Bellagio let the crew tap into their security system to get real surveillance footage of the casino like that is unheard of well so apparently I don't know if it was the writer or the director somebody Weintraub yes it was the producer he was friends (laughs) with the owner of of the um, Bellagio and he actually the owner of the Bellagio sold the Bellagio to another person right before the movie filmed but guess what producer was friends with him too so (laughs) of course (laughs) to have friends He's like Danny Ocean. He just knows everyone. I did see a fun, when I mentioned about the praying, I did see that George Clooney or the cast, they would call, they would do a 5 a.m. call time for Julia, even though she didn't have to be to set until 12. <laughs> and so I think it's those funny things that, you know, are, are innocent pranks, you know, like I'm sure you're like, oh, but you're just like, you have to laugh. So. Yeah, they were, she was in a full on prank war with Clooney and Pitt, which I think... <laughs> I would die. I would die. Yeah, I would, they would have to call HR on me because I'd be writing crazy <laughs> shit. You can prank me anytime you want. But Julia, her, she filmed her scenes pretty quickly. She did it in two weeks. So I guess she wasn't yeah. being pranked for too long. Yeah. She's like, peace <laughs> out, Danielle, huh? did, did the name Bucky Buchanan sound familiar? Okay, so when I hear Buchanan, I just think of one life to live, but no, <laughs> tell me why. So the guy that recognizes Saul, his friend from Sarasota, is named Bucky Buchanan, which is an homage to James Bucky Buchanan Barnes, aka <gasps> the Winter Soldier. Look at them oh. weaving in Marvel. <laughs> the funny thing about this is that this movie like I started thinking about, okay, well, what other movies are close to having this fun vibe? And I really do feel like the Marvel movies give you this kind of same vibe. 100%. Like you feel like the actors enjoyed working together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that gives the movie so much more depth when you feel like that they're enjoying 
their time together. I felt the team. Like I felt yeah. like it was a real team, like watching this. Even again, I was like, it, the chemistry was, was, was really amazing. And you know, that's a lot of Steven, the director, you know, yeah. sure that they're hanging out because he wanted that chemistry to come through. And so that was really smart to, to be able to do that. And I love that, like, a lot of them have worked with the director again after these movies, yeah. which is cool. But and they've worked together. Yeah. After like, this movie. Like Don Cheadle guested on the Bernie Mac show. They all, be, uh, what other movies? I think Brad and George were in another movie together later after these movies. What's the name of that one? I can't remember. I feel like Brad and, I feel like they're going to be in another movie together. I just looked up Brad Pitt and George Clooney will star in an upcoming thriller together. Nice. nice. Who's directing it? I don't, I don't know. Hmm, okay. um, I'll have to look it up, but, but it's uh, Apple Studios lands George Clooney, Brad Pitt film. Hmm, um, nice. so I'll have to look more into that, but yeah, they will be reunited on screen. Yay. I, I did love that the screenwriter, ten, Ted Griffin was inspired by the Magnificent Seven and the Great Escape, mm-hmm. which are, you know, my mom, I was raised watching a lot of Westerns and stuff. It's the Magnificent Seven is great movie and the great escape is also i mean it's not a western but it's a great movie as well so i, it's, I will say oh go ahead go ahead <laughs> no, no it's okay no i was gonna say as, as a screenwriter i've actually written a few heist movies and oceans 11 is 100 percent inspiration for me for things i've written i actually wrote before oceans 8 came out i actually wrote like a female heist um, film, but it needs to needs to be reworked but this movie for me as a writer really has been inspirational in a lot of the stuff that i've written because i think heist movies are so fun and just like all always misleading the audience that's Mm -hmm. really what heist movies are like when you think it's gonna go one way it goes the other so as a writer it's hard because you're like okay what do you think the audience is gonna think then you gotta go the other way so it's really fun so for me this movie was definitely inspirational for a writer standpoint it's it's i i like holds up for sure yeah and i just really enjoy like scavenger hunts and like puzzles and things like that so this is really fun to me. Like national treasure is really fun yeah. to me. Uh, it's them. just like going on adventure. And like you said, just not knowing which way it's going to turn and just the cleverness of it. I just really appreciate. I, it was high caliber all around, but mm-hmm. it's so cool now that time has passed that the movie even before the movie came out, there was a few Academy Award winners, but now there's even more. So we've got Casey Affleck, Matt Damon, who won for Best Screenplay, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, and Steven. They're all Academy Award winners. And then Andy Garcia and Don Cheadle and Elliot Gold are nominees. I mean, it's damn near the whole damn cast has been Oscar nominees, at least. It's pretty damn good. Talented cast and crew, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. I mean, all right, we'll start with you, Kelly. Tell us what your rating is. I'm still going to say buy it. I really enjoy this movie a lot. Uh, Again, you got DVD or (laughs) HBO Max now, but I would say buy it. I still really, I think the movie holds up, you know, I feel like you could watch it in another 20 years and, you know, I think it's kind of a classic. So yeah. And Jackie? 
I agree. Buy it. I own it on iTunes. That's how I watched it. I mean, opening credits started and I just had a big goofy grin on my face. I was just, (laughs) and about 10 minutes in, I turned to Ken and I was just like, I love this movie so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm in, I agree with both of you ladies. This, I did not cringe. I did not have any angry diatribes this week. And I will say, I mean, Obviously, we talked about lack of female representation, but just lack of uh, representation in general. We had a Hispanic supporting lead. We had people of color. We had Asian representation. So like within that 11, it would have been really easy to just cast like a Caucasian cast. Like there were definitely more white men than other minorities but it would I felt like especially comparatively to other movies of this time we got some representation and so I was pretty pleased with that yeah Yeah. definitely agree I would have been happy if Casey Affleck and Matt Damon weren't in it but that's just my own personal thoughts (laughs) (laughs) well okay we we did it we yeah, did it. We all agreed. You said this happens, what, this is the third, second time, right? I, I think only the second time. Yeah. Maybe the first. I don't what know. would have the other one been? I don't know. I have to go back and and. Well, catalog. I think we've agreed on some that were bad. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I don't think we've ever had a movie where we've gone in where it's buy it and then at the uh-huh. end was still by it. Yeah. I think this was our first. No more late fees certified movie. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Well, Kelly, thank you again for joining us. We hope you had fun. Oh my God. I had a blast and I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was really fun. (laughs) Tell everybody your social handles so that they can follow along. And if you haven't listened to our trailer episode with Kelly, you definitely should. She has a plethora of awesome content about the 90s she does really cool things showing you some scene some filming locations and giving some background and just all around fun things so tell everybody where they can find you and follow along yeah you can check me out on uh, twitter or tiktok i would say definitely tiktok is where it's at um just at kelly karofsky so just my full name but yeah Check it, check me out. And as usual, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at No More Late Fees. And how else can they get in contact with us, Jackie? You can also hit us up at our quick drop, which is our voicemail box, 909-601-NMLF, 909-601-6653. You can leave us feedback, suggest future movies, tell us what you liked and disliked have blockbuster video stories your favorite Mm -hmm. moments on the pod and so call in if you're international call and leave a message on our anchor page and you could be featured on a future episode and we're doing an end of the year episode so please we want to hear back from you how we've been doing on the show do you have favorite episodes favorite things we've said things that you want to see from us next year, please call in and let us know so we can feature it in our, on our show. We greatly appreciate it. And if you're, you don't feel as being, feel like being as vocal, you can write us a review 
head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star review. It really helps. It really helps. And every episode, we're going to continue to beg until we change minds and hearts and spirits on this show. (laughs) People who write us some reviews that, God dang it. A hundred (laughs) percent. And also you can support us in another way. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash no more late fees. You can sign up to be one of our besties and receive exclusive content, stickers, ask me anything, polls, bonus videos, live Spotify playlists, and more. So head on over. It's a blast over there. I know one of our besties, Shannon, has been spamming us with questions and comments, and we love it so much. Yeah, yeah, we love it because all the comments are trashing me. Well, I love it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If you would like to see our certified trolling of Danielle, then definitely check out our our Patreon page. And again, Kelly, you've been so enjoyable. We're so glad that you joined us. Thank you again. And as always, be kind and rewind. (laughs)